Want a fresh take on what's going on with the Saints, LSU, the betting world, and the NFL? Then you pick the right place. Jim Derry has plenty of datitude, and he's ready to tell you the way it is. Well, the way he thinks it is. Well, yeah, New Orleans, and hello to my friends listening cars, homes, still lying face down in the restroom outside Section 512 with their head in their hands. Welcome to Datitude, episode number six for a Tuesday, October 5th, 2021. I am Jim Derry, sports betting writer at the New Orleans Advocate, the Times-Picayune, and bet.noah.com. I told you the sun would come up, ladies and gentlemen. Even though it's behind a lot of clouds, it's still there, and we're still fine. Before we get to it, here's your one Pelicans mention, although we'll briefly touch on it with Doug Mouton, so I should say one of two Pelicans mentions. They lost their preseason opener to the Minnesota Timberwolves in Minnesota last night, 117-114. For what it's worth, Nikhil Alexander-Walker led the Pels with 22 points, while Trey Murphy, 21 points. Should be noted, too, that... Murphy played the most minutes. He played 30 minutes, and you know that Zion Williamson is not going to play at all until the regular season opener, or at least the regular season opener on October 20th against Philadelphia in the Smoothie King Center. If you didn't hear our Lanyap podcast yesterday, you know, Jeff Duncan was on, and you should check it out after you listen to this episode, of course. Dunk had some great insight on what happened Sunday and what he thinks we can look forward to over the next 14 weeks of the regular season in the NFL. He also talks about LSU and just how hot is that seat getting for Coach Ed Ogeron? And, and that answers three big questions. Doug Mouton's also going to answer three big questions and talk about Ed Ogeron's hot, hot seat. In 10 minutes or so, he will be on the WWL TV Sports Director. He'll join the show, let us know what he thinks about the Saints and, again, of LSU. Uh, we, we had planned to have Peter Schwartz of WFAN Radio in New York on, and he was going to offer his take uh, on the New York side of things, but our schedules didn't quite mesh. He had some things to do in his role covering the New York Islanders as they're getting close to opening their nas- National Hockey League season. So um, he will try to have him on. The Saints play the Jets in December, and he's actually a pretty big Jets fan. He's, he's covered... He's uh, done some things covering them over the years, so we'll have him on later on in the season, maybe before the Saints play the Jets, and uh, see what he thinks. But uh, Peter couldn't make it this morning, so we had an extended session with with Doug, and it was a very good one. So I'm I'm looking forward to playing that for you guys in just a little bit. Um, I do want to offer my take. We'll call it uh, Derry Soapbox. Um, you know, I've had another day to to sink in and let this loss sink in. I, I as I say to Doug in a little bit, I feel better about where this team is than I did, let's say, you know, 45 hours ago. Um, you know, you're, you're always a little bit more ticked off after a loss um, right after it happens, and you're happier after a win right after it happens than you are a couple of days later and you start thinking. For some people, it ruins their whole week, and I get that. Um, you know, if you live and die with the Saints, I, I completely get that. But, um, you know, if you, if you look at it realistically, and I think that's the one thing about this show that I wanted to come across, and as my brother-in-law, Phil Insomo, says, uh, he 
I tell it the way that it is or the way that I think it is. Um, then the way that I think it is is, look, this team is the same team that I kind of thought it was going into the year. I mean, they, they are a, a team that's going to be up and down all season long. They are still trying to figure out who they are, and I think they will get – I truly believe, and I've been called Derry Downer, so I have no reason to say this if I didn't believe it, but I think they're going to be get better as the season goes along. I think this is a – you know, most teams, I don't like the first bye week or one of the early bye weeks, and I, I like the fact that the NFL kind of moved them back. I wish they would have started them this week uh, instead of week six. So the Saints have the first bye week available in week six. And um, I, I think it's a good thing for this team because they have had so many issues, because they are still getting over some big injuries, to have this bye week early. I know some teams would rather have it in like nine or week nine or ten but uh, or even 11. I think the bye weeks go all the way to week 14, I think, this year, which is really strange. It's going to affect some fantasy football playoffs, too. But um, I think it's good for this team to have an early bye week, and I think that will that will help. You know, one thing I do realize, uh, and I think a lot of people do, is this coming week is an absolute must-win game. There's no way getting around it. Uh, they have got to win this game. They have got to go into the bye week uh, above 500 for their own psyche uh, and because of how tough the schedule is in the immediate week's following the Sunday in the bye week. Uh, we knew there would be tons of questions throughout this transition season. Those aren't going anywhere, no matter what they do this weekend. But if the Saints lose two in a row to subpar NFL teams heading into a, in the week off, and then you got coming up uh, at Seattle, then they host the Bucks on Halloween, uh, then they play the Falcons and Titans, that's also coming up on the horizon. I think if they lose this week, you can pretty much write the playoffs now. I mean, you, you can't go two and three, because it's going to take a minimum, a minimum of 10 wins to get to the wild card um, and maybe 11. And if you, if you still have any aspirations of winning this division with Tampa Bay, um, I think you're already in a position to where you're going to have to beat Tampa Bay twice because, you know, you have two losses. I mean, what do we think? The, how many games do we think the Bucs are going to lose this year? Not counting Saints, okay? If you think the Saints are going to beat the Bucs, Twice, great. So that gives them three. You think they're going to lose two other games? Maybe. Um, so at worst, they're a twelve and five team, right? I think I think that is the floor for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, twelve and five. So if you say that the floor for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers is twelve and five, do the math. To win the division, the Saints have to go ten and three the rest of the way, and if they go ten and three. They have to beat the Buccaneers twice. So they either have to go 11-2 and two maybe and split with Tampa Bay, maybe even 12-1 and one the rest of the way. Or if they go 10 and uh, 10 and – let's see, where am I going? I hate these new – I mean, so used to 12-4 and four is 11 and whatever. So if they go 10 and 3 – the rest of the way, that would put them at 12-5. and five. But then I, then you have to win both games to the Bucs. That means you can only lose three more games, and it can't be to the Buccaneers if you want to win this division for a fifth straight year. That is a tough chore with the schedule that the Saints have. So I'm high on them in, in many ways and low on them in the fact that, in the fact that if you look at their schedule, it's not going to be easy to do. 
So take that for what you will. With that, that's my soapbox. Um, I think we're going to get to Mouton, uh, Mr. Doug Mouton coming up. Uh, but I do want to remind you first, you can email me at jderry at theadvocate.com or find me on Twitter at Jim Derry Jr. if you would like to be a part of the show. We record these shows on Tuesdays and Fridays. Um, did a special show Monday, and I may, I may start doing more shows on Monday. So we may move to three days a week in the near future, or at least move the Tuesday show to Monday. I'm not quite sure how that's going to work. Um, I'm really excited about my guest on Friday. We will have the voice of the New Orleans Saints. Mike Haas will be coming on on Friday. So uh, that should be an interesting show. If you have anything you would like to ask uh, Mike Haas or have a comment, email me at jderryjr. Uh, jderryjr at jderry at theadvocate.com or tweet me at Jim Derry Jr. on Twitter. You can listen to this podcast in multiple places. Uh, right now, I'm, as you are listening somewhere, you can listen to it on bet.nola.com. We put it up there uh, after we post it. It's on SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and just about wherever else you get your podcasts. Make sure to subscribe. Uh, I want to give a shout-out to Caesar's Sportsbook who is an exclusive partner with us at The Advocate, The Times-Picune, and bet.nola.com, and um, exciting things going on there. I've said this a few times. Um, we were able to check out the, the sports book over at Harris and what it's going to be, and it's, it's really cool. I mean, it, it, I'm really looking forward to that. We're going to do some shows there, um, and we'll have fans and allow you to be part of the shows at different times. We're still working out the, the kinks and how, how to do that. Our videos on bet.nola.com. Odds and ends with on Mondays with Zach Ewing and myself. Zach Ewing is the sports betting director here at bet.nola.com. Uh, and also Devin Jackson joins us. Uh, he did yesterday on Mondays. He will be joining us at times. The Fantasy Roundup is on Tuesdays now. We moved it from Wednesday to Tuesdays with Zach and Spencer the Guru Urquhart. And at the book, featuring Cashing In with Carville, uh, if you have not seen that segment that we run every week on Thursdays, go check it out. It's worth look. It's worth watching. James Carville is quite the character, uh, and he makes it fun. And you can also go and try to pick against James Carville and win prizes. He was outstanding last month. We're going to see how he does in October. That's uh, that show uh, at the book is also with uh, Zach, Devin Jackson, and myself. Uh, and the cashing in with Carville segment is part of it. Let's get to the Doug Mouton interview. And, you know, I've known Doug for quite a while. We've played in fantasy baseball leagues together. Um, and he, he is a, a cool dude. And I, I appreciate how much time he spent. I expected it to be about a 20 or 30-minute interview. And we just kept talking. And uh, we ended up talking for, I think, almost an hour. So uh, I had, I've just finished recording that interview. I came straight in to do the intro here. So we'll see what he has to say. And he's very candid. And, look, he's... He's got, uh, you know, it's some, some of the questions I ask when, you, when you're do, covering these teams on a daily basis, they're not always easy. And uh, Doug did a, did a good job of answering. So let's listen to what he has to say. Datitude Podcast guest line, we welcome in WWL TV sports director Doug Mouton. Douglas, how are you, my friend? I am good, Jim. How are you? I'm, uh, I'm flying high these days. You know, it's... Uh, it was a good week of baseball for me last week. And, uh, you know, I can thank you a little bit for it, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Not my best season in fantasy baseball. Um, but you know what? It, you have the bad ones helps you appreciate the good. Well, you know, I got to find, 
I had one for the thumb. Now I need to start a whole new hand. You know, it is what it is. So. And the good thing is you're not cocky about it. At no, all. not That's at all. Not at all. But uh, it, it was good to have triplet on last week. So uh, I'll try to get him on again later in the week. Um, let's get serious and talk about the, let's start with the, with, with the obvious, the saints and, uh, obviously a very disappointing weekend. Um, what was your take on, you know, kind of this yo-yo back and forth kind of thing, which we've been talking about. And, uh, it's, it's really kind of frustrating if you're a saints fan. Yeah, there's no question about it. This team clearly hasn't figured out who, who it is. And by that, I mean, Sean Payton hasn't figured out who his team is yet. Now I will say this look, the last four years, best record in the NFL in the first two games, they were three and five. This team is notoriously slow starting. And right about now is when the team has caught fire. And I will say the team from 17 and 18 did not look anything like the team in 2020. The team in 2020 became much more of a running team. Um, as they realized Drew Brees couldn't throw the ball downfield, they completely changed. Now this team is different again. They can run it, but uh, unlike last year, Jameis Winston clearly going deep is something that is in his wheelhouse and he is very, very good at it. And I think Sean Payton just hasn't exactly tuned in to what his team is. The defense was not the best version of itself this past week, especially in the fourth quarter. The offense became too run oriented when Jameis Winston was having a great day and maybe letting him rip it would have been the thing to do in the fourth quarter and just uh, put them away like Saints teams have done in the past. I think the biggest thing is Sean Payton hasn't figured out exactly who his team is yet. And I still think the team's enormously talented. I still have more confidence in this team than most people do, but this team's got a ways to go. And, and this is, I mean, this is one that was a win. You had to win this one and you didn't. So now you're going to have to get another one that, that, that you shouldn't get like at Seattle, but this one certainly hurts, but, but I don't think, grossly changes the long range prospectus for this team. Is it partly maybe because I, I think there's kind of a team in transition to almost a defense first philosophy. Um, maybe I'm wrong, but you know, like you say, I think he's still trying to figure out things. And one of them obviously is Jameis Winston, who I think played much, much better this week. I thought he had a really good game actually. And uh, I'm just wondering if, if he's, he's transitioning to something that he's just not used to. Well, that's true. And look, last year's team was largely defense first. If you go back, look, running the ball, right, and running the ball a lot, if you, the way I look at it is 130-yard games. You run for 130, it's hard to lose. Now, the Saints did lose this week running for 130, and it's the first time they had in three years. But but in 2019, they only ran for 130 yards twice. In 2020, they ran for 130 yards eight times. This transition began last year, but maybe this year. Now they've done it three of the first four games. Now in those uh, 13 games, they're now 12 and one. This is the first time in three years they've run it this well and not won. So that is different. I do think last year they were so limited and not being able to get the ball downfield. But Sean Payton is still almost working in that mindset, got over-conservative in the fourth quarter. Um, Jameis Winston, look, his numbers are great. Quarterback rating was 119 this week, yeah. which is which is terrific. I agree. Um, he, he did a ton right. And plus, look, Jameis Winston, I think more than anything, is the eyeball test. And, you know, the touchdown to Callaway two, three weeks ago, two weeks ago, 
you know, it was, it was a bad decision, even though it was a touchdown. And Sean Payton said as much. Um, in this game, there were no dangerous decisions. There was no times he threw it up into coverage. And I still think Sean Payton is afraid of that. I mean, afraid may be a strong word. But he's leery of that, and that's part of the reason they went into the shell in the fourth quarter. And at some point, he's going to have to just trust James. James on the line, he's going to have to let him rip two and not just be one-dimensional running, which is how they won last year and how they won two of the first three. But at, at some point, he's going to have to come to a marriage where Jameis, he's going he's to allow Jameis to make the play in a critical situation. And for now, he seems a little apprehensive to do that you know what i'm gonna uh, all this talk about Jameis, and i do want to talk about the fans perspective of Jameis in a minute but i thought Jameis this week was it was the first time that i saw him in a saint's uniform look like he didn't play scared he now he he didn't there were things that he didn't do and he's not drew Brees. he's never going to be drew Brees. stop comparing him to drew Brees. um but i thought he looked the most comfortable this week and that they just, the play calling just didn't really set him free. I would agree with that 100%. Yeah. His body language was a little different. And look, there's going to be an adjustment period for him in this offense. And I do think he feels the pressure of the first pick that failed in his first. And I do think He's putting an enormous amount of pressure on himself, and that's not the way you're ever going to be a terrific quarterback. You're going to have to play free and easy. And I did think he sort of played free and easy. And I'll say this too, Jim, those two deep balls, the second one to Kenny Stills that got called back, when you watch those, he hit his receivers beautifully, perfectly in stride. He throws one of the prettiest, what looks to be as easy to catch deep ball and that you'll see in the NFL. That is going to have to be a major part of this arsenal. And look, I do think from an offensive perspective, one of the big things is you're not getting receivers who are not getting open. I mean, this is not pre-Mike Thomas coming back. This is not a great set of receivers. Um, uh, No, no. Deontay Harris leads the team in targets, catches, and yards. And among wide receivers in the NFL, just wide receivers, he's 72nd in the NFL in catches and yards. So there are 71 receivers in the NFL doing more than any receiver on the Saints team. And I do think that's hurting him. And and I do think, look, the fourth and three when they run Kamara, not having Mike Thomas to, to run a little slant or a little out that he can body up on somebody, get in front of him and make the play, That's you're missing Mike Thomas so much on third down, especially the short yard. Because then defense has to pick their poison, Kamara or Thomas. With no Thomas, they can overplay Kamara, which is why Alvin Kamara, 88 touches this year, third most in the NFL. He's, his longest game this year is 14 yards. Right, because right. They, he is so getting overplayed. I think that all ties into they don't have to overrespect any wideout. I do think when Mike Thomas comes back, you're going to see this offense just naturally open up because now defenses are going to have to make a choice between two elite guys. Well, I think when Mike Thomas comes back, I think you're going to see a blossoming of Callaway. I, 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 because the, I think right now they're, they're playing Callaway kind of like Mike Thomas almost. And they're, 
I think most defenses are not going to let him go deep, but you're not going to have a choice. You're going to have to play him more one-on-one when, when Thomas comes back. And I think this kid has more talent than anyone, than maybe anyone in the roster. Oh, except Kamara. Well, yeah. And, and obviously he will be better. Juwan Johnson will be better. They'll all be better when the number one corner is on someone else. And, and someone else has to be overplayed. Look, it was the secret in 18 when this offense was great, was that you had to pick your poison between Kamara and Thomas. They have not been together and healthy since 18. Kamara was hurt all of 19. Obviously, Thomas hurt all of 20. So getting the two of them back is the – look, I mean, you hate to keep kicking the can, and I, and I get that. And, and I, hate, I hate blaming injuries because you're always going to have people hurt. Right. You're never going to be full strength in the NFL. But Mike Thomas, look, if you were missing Kamara, it would be the same way. Mike Thomas be way is worse. your unique. Yeah, it would be worse. You're right. Mike Thomas is your unique weapon, and you, you've got to have him. And without him, your offense is not going to be what it can be. Although they were pretty good this week against a good Giants team for three quarters. Just the fourth quarter – Everything that could go wrong did, and the offense got too conservative. Jameis didn't get a chance to win the game. It was a rough fourth quarter, but, but I think we're seeing signs of life from the offense. Yeah, Dunk talked yesterday about not jumping off the ledge if you're a Saints fan. And look, when you lose a game like this, especially the way you played two weeks ago it's against Carolina, it's really easy to want to wanna jump off the ledge. But this team just, I mean, you talked about it identity they just don't know what they are and um you know from a fan's perspective I, I i try not to read too much on social media but doing this podcast we we like to highlight some things and yesterday i was listening to a certain radio show that i'm not going to mention that has the same letters as the one the uh organization you work for but um the guy comes on and starts talking, trying to blame the game. And Bobby was – so now I've opened – I've given myself up. So Bobby is agreeing with him almost. They're blaming Aldrich Rosas, missing a 58-yard field goal for why – literally, why the Saints lost. That's why the Saints lost because we don't – because Aldrich Rosas missed a 58-yard field goal. And I'm listening well, to this, yelling what, what, what. I mean, Sean Payton – the first time he had a chance to kick a 58-yard field goal, decided to punt, and it was downed at the 10-yard line, and the Giants had to punt right after that. And so instead, we give them field position at the 48-yard line, and they go down and score their first touchdown. I think that was the one where it was – was that the one play? I don't remember, but – Yeah, anyway. that, was, that was the, the Barkley wheel route, yeah. So, I mean, you know, you don't try the, – the percentage of – I looked this up yesterday – 58 and, and over. After, actually, 58 is kind of the benchmark. 57 is made more often than like 50%. But 58 and higher in the NFL over the past 10 years, the percentage is just above 30%. And I realize that this kid's got a strong leg and you want to, you know, but what are you doing? I mean, that, that, you shouldn't even have him out there. And fans just, they don't want to blame Sean Payton because they love Sean Payton. And they, but the, at the same time, they'll blame the kicker and Jameis Winston, who I thought had an excellent game. Yeah, well, okay, a, a couple of points, and and I certainly don't disagree with anything you're saying. First of all, I was wrong. It was the John Ross touchdown that came. Yeah, after that, that's that. All right, right. Look, here's the deal. First three possessions, things get to the 40 yard line and punt. Second possession, they got to the 29 and opted to go for it on fourth and three. I asked Sean Payton about that. 
yesterday, he's, he said he had a play that they thought would work. And, and if you watch the play multiple times, it should have. Uh, Callaway probably missed a block. Probably missed a block. And, and the, the, uh, uh, Andres Peak got beat on the inside. And then the third time, you're at the 40, and Sean Payton opted for the 58-yard field goal. The point is, three times to the Giants' 40 and no points. And I do think that his lack of confidence in a kicker, Sean Payton's, is messing with his decision-making. 100%. And it is, it is creating weird decision-making. Look, Sean Payton, at his best, plays like a fist. You know right. what I mean? He is an aggressive um punch you in the nose kind of play caller and decision yes. maker. And anytime he's doing like this, so, you know, back it up apprehensive because he's not sure about this kicker. Clearly that is messing with his decision making. I definitely wouldn't blame a kicker for missing a 58 yard or obviously, but Sean Payton, first thing he said, not the first thing, but when he was asked about going for the field, he said, I should have punted. Yeah. I mean, he admitted it right off the bat, should have punted. He knows it was a bad decision. He also knows he's three times at the Giants 40 with zero points. And I do think the the lack of confidence in a kicker is messing with a lot of things. So it's not the kicker per se. It's the lack of confidence in his kicker, which is why, look, it's why he went all in on Lutz and why Lutz is sort of overpaid by kicker standards so that it doesn't mess with his decision-making. Right. And right now without Lutz, it's almost like he's being justified for paying Lutz so much right now because everything's weird with no kicker. But I don't think he would have even tried that with Lutz. It was almost like a, it was almost like a frust- decision out of frustration, and I don't know what to do, and the hell with it. Let's just kick it. And we got to have some points because it's our third time at their 40, and we got nothing. Right. So, anyway, I, I, you know, I, I go back to Jameis because I, I, I got to say, and going into the season, I was – especially through preseason, even though he played well, I still don't, didn't like the way he played, but I've seen him progress in four games. And I, I feel much differently about him today than I felt four weeks ago. I thought he played poorly in the Green Bay game, and I know the stats don't say that. He threw five touchdown passes, but one of the touchdown passes he threw, Jawan Johnson had to like do a backflip to catch when he was wide open. Another one, he leaped high in the sky and bailed him out. <clears throat> Excuse me. But... I've seen him progress, especially since the Carolina game, and he looks just like a different guy, and he looks like someone I want to see in a, in a playoff race down the stretch if he keeps continuing to progress like this. I, I would say if you're blaming Jameis Winston for the Giants' loss, that's just 100% wrong. Like I, I understand the kicker argument, um, although it's more on Sean Payton, I think, than necessarily on the kicker. Um, but if you're blaming Jameis for the Giants' loss, that's just wrong. Jameis played terrific. Look, his decision, that first, there were two ad-lib decisions. One of them, the Tony Jones, still haven't seen a great angle, was on a third down on that first drive where it, it looked like Tony Jones should have caught it, although Logan Ryan comes, maybe he stripped it away. Either way, it was a terrific ad-lib play. And then the second one at Ty Montgomery, when Montgomery sneaks out of a yeah. pack and, yeah. and Jameis on the run hits him perfectly. Yep. Those were two great plays. The deep balls were beautiful. He didn't get a chance in the fourth quarter to put the game away. I agree. That is, anybody putting that one on Jameis, I, like I said, I, I get most arguments. That argument, I would vehemently disagree with. You know, I've been, I've been talking to different people about this, and 
the people I respect and trust. Most of them say the same thing. You know, you got to realize Drew Brees didn't look all that hot when he first started with the Saints in 06. It took him a little while to figure out Sean Payton. And, um, you know, Sean Payton loves nothing better than a challenge. And, boy, he's got a doozy here. And I think that he can – I think maybe he can turn number two into something. Look, I, I, this game, look at those deep balls. And, and yeah, and haven't seen look, that in a while. Throwing a deep ball is not easy. Look, Taysom Hill had one shot at it, and you see the ball was at least six or seven yards underthrown and intercepted. The deep ball is not easy. And, and he does it extremely well. He's effortless on the 15 yard out, he's got the gun, he's got mobility. Uh, the only question with him is the decision-making. And the, the touchdown to Callaway in New England was a comical decision that he got lucky. I would say the one that Juwan Johnson that you talked about in Green Bay was similar, although I thought he put that one in a much better position. Look, Juwan Johnson is a bigger body. Like, I thought that was a smarter pass in the fact that Juwan Johnson was much bigger than the guy covering him, and he played it like a basketball rebound, blocked yeah. out, made a great play. The one that Callaway, Callaway had to make a crazy adjustment to save Jameis on that play. And he did. And it turned out to be a touchdown. But you find all touchdowns are not equal. And the pass to Kenny Stills was infinitely better than either one of those, even though it got called back. Yeah. And, you know, watching the Chargers game last night, I'm watching Jared Cook. And it kind of – it was the good Jared Cook. You know, there's good Jared Cook and bad Jared Cook. And if bad Jared Cook doesn't play in the the Bucs game, I think the Saints win. But that's a whole other story. But it reminded me of, I, I looked at him like, you know what? That's kind of what Jawan Johnson is now. I think he could really turn into a Jared. He's not quite as muscular, I don't think. He's not quite as strong as Jared Cook. But I think that this kid could turn into something like that. Uh, Jawan Johnson is one of the real pleasant surprises on this team. And, and I know I, I shouldn't care about this. One of the most likable guys on the team. Yeah. Just affable and Why shouldn't you smart care? and interesting. Well, I mean, because it should be just about what they do on the field. But he's a guy oh. that if, if you meet him for five minutes, you pull for him because he is such an, such a likable, funny, interesting guy. And look, he's got a set of, a skill set. He's not as big as Jared Cook, but, but he's more of a giant wide receiver. He's a hybrid. Can he ever be a good enough to be a great, you know, full-fledged tight end? Yeah. Maybe not. But either way, you put him in the passing situations. He's a matchup nightmare, and you said it before. He's going to be so much better when all the coverage is rolling for Mike Thomas. And he's getting played one-on-one with a linebacker who can't run with him or a safety who can't deal with his body, which is how he got that touchdown. Um, I I think he's going to have a big year. Honestly, in both of my fantasy football leagues, I drafted him in the last round because nobody wanted him. He wasn't on the radar. And, And he's a guy that I think could have a, a 10 or 12 touchdowns. You know, you and I have been in this. I'm going to show our ages. We've been in this business for a combined over six decades. Um, so it, you talk about having personal things about play. We're human. Yeah. I mean, right. I, you know, if I'd be lying to you if I, tell you if I told you that I probably didn't cover a, a coach that I like more or maybe even better throughout the years than a coach that was kind of a jerk to me. Right. And it's, right. It's, I mean, let's be honest here. I mean, it, we're human. And so right. there, are, there are players we root for. There are coaches we root for throughout our careers. And, um, you know, it's, 
I think it's okay. I mean, you know, I, at first I didn't for a while, long time I didn't, but I think as I've grown older and the way that the, that media is today, I think that I feel differently about it. I think it's okay to, to root for a player and even openly. Well, I would, I would, okay. I would do it secretly. Maybe not as openly. Yeah. Like Alvin Kamara is one of the most likable. Yes. And, and look, you listen sure. to his, he's, he's now doing his interviews on Thursday. You can listen to his Thursday interview and he is trying to like, there's no, there's nothing cliche about him. There's right. no, there's no stock answers. If you ask him a question, he will try his honest best to answer that specific question. You can ask him things about specific play calls or play designs that his answers are thoughtful and interesting and often funny. And look, I'm finding myself quoting Kamara all the time because my favorite line for Kamara this year is what he likes to say when people would say about, about moving around, about being in Dallas, about Hurricane Ida, about the coaches with COVID. He would just say, you know what? Nobody cares. Nobody That's cares. Right. We don't get an extra time out. We don't get more time in the huddle. Nobody cares. So whatever, whatever problem you have in your workplace, getting your job done, nobody cares. All they it's care true. about is the results. And so Kamara is the wisdom that I, I like, I'll just love listening to him. And if you don't like Alvin Kamara, I, I think that's on you. Something's wrong because he is funny and interesting in a whole different way. And he just happens to be as talented as anybody back in You know, I've been through the years and doing different shows and whatever. I, I've been critical at times of Sean Payton about different things. But I, one thing I can tell you, besides the fact that he's an offensive genius, and that's the number one skill set on his coaching uh, resume. But number two, I think, is he has always been great of having guys in his locker room that are great people. I mean, throughout my years and off and on covering the Saints, you know, over 30 years, I probably covered five years worth of them. Um, and I go into a locker room, and there's rarely somebody in there that I think's a jerk. I mean, and that's, that goes on the head coach. And, he, and I think that's important to him. And uh, he's very good at it. And I'm like, Guys like Cam Jordan and Zach Streif, how could you not love those guys? I mean, Cam Jordan would, would talk to anybody, anytime, uh, and so would Zach Streif. I mean, and that, those were the go-to guys. Like, you know, if, if you didn't know if there was no specific thing you wanted to talk about, you just wanted to talk about something defense, something offense, you go to Cam Jordan, you go to Zach Streif, and they're there until you're finished. So, But I, I just think that Sean Payton is excellent at that. I would agree 100%. And I will say this, too. If those seven and nine teams, they're, they're, the locker room was not what it is now. Right, I, mean, I it agree. Wasn't. 100%. It was difficult. Look, there were a couple of games where we went into the locker room after the game. What happens after a game, there's about a five-minute period where Sean Payton talks to the team and they do their thing. And then Sean Payton comes into a media room and talks to the whole media. That takes anywhere from seven to 12, 13 minutes for Sean right. Payton to talk. Then what the old way, now the new way is post-COVID, they're bringing all players into that room. But the old way for, for the first, you know, 55 years of the team, right. whatever it was, right. was that you, of 53 years, is that as soon as Sean Payton's done, then you would go into the locker room. So from the end of the game, it's about 15 minutes later. In 16 and 17, no, 15 and 16, there were times when Sean Payton was done, when you went into the locker room, that the only players that were left in there to talk to were Zach Streif and Ben Watson. And yeah. they would have to answer questions for everything, and they would. 
The locker room was difficult. Um, look, to me, I, a lot. Look, every player wants to talk to you when they win. Many players don't want to talk to you when they lose. But to me, that's a part of their job, and it's a difficult part of their job. And it's a part of their job that's aggravating when they lose, and they don't want to do it. So to a certain extent, I judge guys and, and their professionalism by how they are when they lose. Because, you know, it's like mopping at work. It's your yeah. least favorite thing you have to do is the cleaning up part. But you know what? That's part of your job. And how you handle the part you like the least, I put a value in that. And and so now you've got a team. Back then, look, there were guys who would rush out of there and wouldn't talk to you. I, I remember one game where Jimmy Graham had a critical fumble and he was <laughs> gone when the, yeah. by the time we got to the locker room. And, and personally, I, I find that unprofessional. You know what? When you make a mistake that costs your team a game, you should sit up there and, and own up to it. I mean, that's part of your job. And this team now, you're right, is, is filled with guys that are easy to deal with, that aren't just easy to deal with, they're like a pleasure to deal with. You talked about Cam Jordan. In, I've covered this team since the 90s, and I'm not saying he's the, the most, but there's no player who's been more active in the New Orleans community than Cam Jordan. The best you could be is is as active as him. He's the ceiling. I'm not saying he's the only player Learn the from ceiling, his dad. but he's the ceiling. And, and what he's done in New Orleans and for New Orleans, going to a, that have 10 people, not yeah. just going to the big events where the media is there, but reading to kids at school. Like this is a, this is a locker room filled with guys that are easy to, to deal with. And I do think after the 15, 16 teams or seven or nine teams, and they talked about it, in West Virginia, about putting together a locker room that got back to that, the yeah. guys who were easy to deal with and that does matter, you see it. And, and Kamara is the leader of that. Kamara and Cam Jordan, Teron Armstead, Demario uh, uh, Davis, these are just terrific. You talk about 2015. That was the year that um, we had a uh, one of our many purges at the time, Spickian. I work for completely, even though I work for the Times Picayune, and I could say this now because it's a completely different company, um, and I think most of them feel the same way I do about my former employers. But um, it was one of our many purges, and so we uh, we got rid of Rachel Whitaker, uh, which I don't understand, but whatever. Um, and she was doing the Black and Gold Today show, and so we make all these moves, and my boss comes to me on the day that we make these moves, and he goes, "A." Uh, just want to let you know, you're the only one left from prep. Uh, we've, we fired everyone else that worked in prep and B, uh, we let Rachel Whitaker go and you're going to do the black and gold today show in 2015. And I said, I'm going to do what I had never done a show before in my life. Okay. So, um, uh, so here I am thrown to the wolves on this radio, on this, uh, this video show that we do every day and the saints stink. They're seven and nine. Um, everybody's mad. Peyton is pretty much pissed off every time he comes on the screen. Drew Brees doesn't even want to talk. Um, it was a miserable year. So I know exactly what you're talking about <laughs> in 2015. And it was real fun to do those shows every week. Um, figuring out, you, you know, so Saints fans, I talked about it yesterday with Dunk. They get spoiled real easily. Um just think back to seven and nine, seven and nine, yeah. seven and nine, three years in a row. And this team is not that. This team is much better than than those teams. And 
and Sean Payton being suspended for a year. Uh, what was that? What year was that? Uh, I don't know. 12. 12. So, I mean, 12. They, they went through a stretch of, of, of four or five years where things weren't real fun. So, and I think they've been real fun again. And people oh. forget real easily what it was like to, just a few years ago. Well, and I also think people, you know, I, doing this job, to me, the ride is the thing, the whole season. I, I know the last four years haven't ended the way Saints fans would want. Um, but, man, the last four years have been so much fun to yeah. cover this team. 17, 18, 19, 20, that's the winningest team in the NFL. Right. I mean, here's one of the ways I look at it. You talk about Sean Payton. There are literally tens of thousands of young men and women gone into coaching. And the NFL is America's highest sport. These, the 32 head coaches in the NFL, even the terrible ones who don't win a game, are guys who have elevated above thousands of other potential candidates to get to that level. And even at that highest level of coaching, Sean Payton, at worst, is in the top five. No question. Uh, among NFL coaches. Yeah, winning his team the last four years. Uh, look, the Saints have had three Super Bowl teams. The uh, 09, 11, and 18. 09, all the stars lined up and they got there. 11, they got unlucky. 18, they got it taken away. But a guy who has gotten, who has had a Super Bowl caliber team three times. Um, yeah, look, I, I mean, I think the world of Sean Payton as a coach. I think he's great. I think you said a great offensive coach. And I do love the roster he's put together right now. And, and look, I agree with you. I, if, if you think this is a seven and nine team, I think you're wrong. I think they haven't figured it out yet. David Onyemata is an elite interior player. I think they're missing that right now. That right now, they're going to get that back. They're, they're going to have other guys get hurt. I get that. But the guys you're missing, you're missing some elite players. Mike Thomas, Will Lutz is an elite NFL kicker. Um, on Yamada, you're going to get Davenport back. You're going to get Armstead back. You're going to get Teron Armstead back. It ran the ball extremely well this week, and they're missing Armstead and McCoy, who are two of your three best run blockers. Um, I, I, I do think this is a playoff team. How good they can be, I don't know, because it's going to be the marriage of Sean Payton and Jameis Winston and figuring out the offense. Defense is going to be good. They're not going to be infallible, but they're going to be good. I think we see that this defense is going to be a top 10 defense. I, I, I feel pretty confident saying that. So how far this team goes is going to be how well this offense can come together. And look, if, if you don't see, if, you, if you're not more confident after seeing Jameis this week, then you weren't watching the same game. Enough niceties. I think uh, this week going into, look, I can only be nice for so long. They don't call me Derry Downer for a reason. Um, going into this week against the football team, obviously the Saints are vulnerable because they showed it last week. So I think they do play their best when their backs are up against the wall, at least Sean Payton teams do. So that's why I have confidence in this week. But um, you go into this and you look at the schedule coming up. You got after the bye week, you got at Seattle, you got Tampa Bay, you got Atlanta, and you got – a Tennessee Titans team that's basically in the same boat as the Saints. So do you consider this? I mean, it's got to be a must win, right? They cannot go into the bye week two and three. No, you can't. You can't lose to the Giants and the team. You you, you absolutely have to win at least one. Three and two, no, I, I do think this one is critical. Um, 
the, the, the Giants' loss makes this one absolutely critical. Team is not playing great. The defense that was supposed to be great has not been. Um, I, it's certainly enormously winnable. I agree with you. When the backs are to the wall and there's adversity, Sean Payton's team's focused a different way. Um, I, I'm certainly counting on that. I like the Saints in a big way this week. But, yeah, if they lose this one, all, all of a sudden, and, I, and you're very down. I've been accused of being overly optimistic. But the last four years, I've been right. Um, I, 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 but you got to get this one. And, and the outlook does change dramatically if you don't get this. You know, Doug, that's why I had you on the day after dunk, because you two guys are probably the most optimistic people that I know. So I'm like, why not have on two positive guys to bounce off of my negativity? And actually, y'all have made... <laughs> I think y'all have made me become more positive because actually don't, I don't feel nearly as bad as I felt Sunday evening. I mean, and you know, we try not to be fans, but let's not kid ourselves. We, we, we root for the saints to win. I mean, Oh yeah. And look, I'll say this too. Along those lines, the LSU national championship run um, was as fun as anything I've covered in 33 years of doing this. It was spectacular. And yeah, part of that is because I, I, I want LSU to win. Yes, I'm pulling for them to win. I'm trying to be as uh, objective as I can. And when they're bad, I'll say they're bad. But man, <laughs> yes. Uh, and every, that press box all. I mean, I would say 80% of people covering the Saints are New Orleans natives. And if they're not New Orleans natives, they, they have become natives because they've right. been here long enough. Like, like Mike Haas, let's say. Um, Who will so, be on this show Friday? Yes, all of us, yeah, all of us want the Saints to win. Period. We all want the Saints to win. Now, sometimes you have to be objective, and sometimes you're going to make fans right. mad right. by telling that what you feel is the truth afterwards. But to say that we're not pulling for the Saints in a different way, but in the same way, would be a lie because there's 100 percent I want the Saints to win. Look, if nothing else, just for my job. Dealing yeah, with guys right, who after they win is so much more fun than dealing with guys after they lose. Well, that's what I was going to say. I was going to say, for our business perspective, even if we didn't care, per se, if we weren't from here and maybe we came from, I don't know, you came from Dallas and you're a Cowboys fan or you came from Massachusetts and you're a Patriots fan. First of all, if you live here long enough, you're going to end up rooting for them anyway. So it just it is the way it is. Because if you if you move here to work here, you're probably going to stay here. Um, but for our business purposes, we want the saints to win. It's much easier to do a show on a Monday or a Tuesday when they win than it is because one thing that I think that most of us, if not all of us have become good at is even if we pull for a team, we're able to be critical of them. After we stop and think for a minute, you're able to separate yourself. I'm standing in the, in, you know, I'm covering the NFC championship game a couple years ago and you know, the no call happens. And if I were at home, I probably would have been throwing things. But I was able to keep my arms folded, standing next to Sean Fazan, and not punch him in the face. And uh, and and you know, just you know, it's it's okay. It's going to be okay. You know, but you think differently. You have to go into it with a different mindset. Yeah, no question. Like this this week, the, the game is actually on Channel Four. The Redskin game. It's the weirdness of the NFL schedule. We actually have a post game special at four o'clock on Channel Four where it'll be interviews and analysis from four to five. That show is going to be so much easier and more fun if they win. Yeah, that's for show, sure. That's, and, and honestly, we'll have a lot more people watching. Although people tend to watch when the thing. So 
I'm glad you said that. I actually, I got to go fix my my listing thing. I think I put Fox on there. I'm glad you told me it's on uh, Channel 4 this week. No, it's on CBS. It's it's a weird, I mean, you would assume it is because it's two NFC teams. But now there's a a competitive balancing The last couple of years they've been doing that. Um, Okay, well, let's, I want you to tell me, and I'm going to, I'm going to, at the end of this thing, I'm going to ask you three big questions. So it it may be kind of, but where do you see, before we move on, because I do want to touch on the Pels and LSU very briefly, but. Where do you see this team? Not necessarily a record. I'll ask you that later. But do you see this team progressing and going forward and becoming the team that fans want them to be? Uh, yes. Fans want them to be. Are they a Super Bowl team? That's what fans ultimately want. I'm certainly not ready to say that. Or are they a playoff team? They are certainly a team good enough to fight for the playoffs. I think they're good enough to be a playoff team, especially with seven getting in. So, Yes, if if your goal, remember a friend of mine went during the seven and nine season saying saying all I want is for the Saints to be competitive and in the playoff hunt and getting there most of the time and fun to watch all year. Of course, once they become that, then that's not enough. Now it's not enough unless you win a Super Bowl. But if you go back to his seven and nine assessment, yes, I think they're going to be in the playoff hunt all year. I think they're going to be right there, and I think they're good enough to be in the playoffs. Well, you're never going to satisfy what I call the new dads, you know, the ones that uh, you know, before, before about 15 years ago, they didn't want anything to do with the Saints, you know, and then they right. come out of they come out of the woodworks, and when they're like six and one, oh wait, let's go to the game. I'm going to wear all my stuff. I'm going to have confetti all over me and look cool. And uh, you know, then they go the back into their dads. they go back into their closet when when they stink, you know. So right, and, and criticize all over social exactly. Media, right? Then you're never going to say, yeah, they're all over Facebook, and I, I don't even read Facebook on Sunday. Uh, yeah, me either. Anyway. Right. Let's let's jump to the Pelicans real quick. I do want to talk about obviously their their first preseason game last night. They lose with the Timberwolves. Uh, 117, 114, that's the score is insignificant. But, uh, you know, a lot of young young players, Zion is not playing during the preseason. Um, that, that whole debacle there. But, uh, you know, you got to like what you saw out in the kill Alexander Walker. Um, and I, they had this group of guards back there. Trey Murphy was, scored 21 points. Um, I, I really, I, I dare to say it, even though all that's going on, I dare to say, I think I like this team. Well, I, I do think they're going to be fun to watch. Can they be a playoff team? The West is so good. And if, and if you look at objectively, man, fighting for even for the 10th spot is going to be, they seem to have more confidence in, but I, I am not seeing that at this point. I think better. I think they're going to be deeper. They're extremely young. Um, I've got to see them play defense. I mean, the turnovers last night were ridiculous, which is something yeah. they did last year. Um, there, there are a lot of holes in this team. It, it, look, all right, look, let's look at this team objectively. If the, if the idea is to play Zion Williamson with Brandon Ingram and Devontae Graham, who's the new point guard that they got right. from Charlotte, um, Graham being the spot-up shooter when Zion has the ball, um, those are three guys who have not, to this point in their career, shown a great ability or desire to play defense. So when you got those three on the court together, it's going to be hard to play on the defensive end, which was the big liability on this team last year. Um, the last I think three the team years. can be a pretty, what's that? The last three years. The last three years, right. But especially, man, last year the defense was just abysmal. And for this team to get any better, they're going to have to play better defense. I, I think they're going to be able to score, but can they stop anyone 
Jonas Valanciunas is going to be a big piece of that. Um, obviously, Josh Hart is a bit. Let's see. I need to see this team play some defense before I have much confidence in them. Although I think they'll be better, um, I, I still think they're a year or two away from being any kind of a contender. And, and a year or two where you're going to have to add pieces next offseason and offseason after that, and then let's talk. But you've got to add players who can play on Josh Hart is a wild card in my in my opinion. I think he could be I could I think he could take a huge step forward in his career this year. I got a feeling that he's gonna be a big piece of, of the Pell's puzzle. I, I like a lot of the pieces individually and I like the depth. Like I said, I just gotta see him place. I mean the defense was just terrible. It's funny because last year, Jim, all the post-game interviews on Zoom and Stan Van Gundy just looked so yeah. broken and sad. What was like, I what, what did I decide to do here? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, and he like I I would I wouldn't even want to ask him questions because he looked so, like there was no way he could go down any further than what he was, and it was so hard to watch. And that's all he said was right. about the defense every game, and he. The, his biggest problem was because the NBA condensed the season. He wasn't getting any practice time. Right. So that's what he said over and over is we can't even work on stuff to try to get better because we have a game tomorrow. So I'm really curious. I, I, look, if, if fans are expecting this team to make a run to the final four, they're expecting too much. Um, I'd love to see improvement in all the big guys. I still think they're a couple of years away. And, and if you look at the NBA, it takes a while to get there. And, Although Phoenix got there, what seems like overnight, yeah, it had been a wild building, and I think and, this. Team- and also, everything kind of fell their way too. Uh, so it, everything that could go right kind of went right for for them. But they have a great coach. Oh, wait a minute, we used to have him. It'd be yeah, sure be right. nice if he and was. They add, and they added Chris Paul, yeah. the, the, who was a stabilizing force for a lot of young guys who who needed that guy. The Pelicans team. Is all those guys without a state? I know they tried getting Kyle Lowry. Um, I know they made a play for Chris Paul, but they needed that guy and still will at some point. Um, if they take, but they don't the, have that guy now. If they take the next step forward, they're going to get a guy like that. I don't think. I think people right. are a little leery of coming here right now. Uh, they want to see what's going to happen, and then and then maybe they'll come next year. So if they take the next step and they can have a, a winning record and maybe eight ish seed, um, I think you will see free agents wanting to come here. And I think a guy like Willie green is a guy that is a guy that could draw people to want players to want to come here. And if they can get that to me, that one solid veteran, I like a, you know, like a Chris Paul, you talk about, if they can get one of those things, one of those kind of players, I think that changes the whole outlook for this team in the future. At least, yeah, I would agree. And I, and I think it could have changed quicker if they could have gotten Kyle Lowry. Kyle Lowry's just one yeah. of the toughest guys Agreed. in the league. Plays on both ends. Could have taught that to the guys. Yeah. I agree with you. Although my goal or my realistic goal for this team isn't winning record eight seed. It's it's five hundred record tenth seed. Um, to, to me, anything over five hundred this year, I would call a success. I, I will say that right now. So if you're counting on this team being a Final Four team, it's going to fail. I'm I'm hoping this team can be 500, and anything better, I would call a success. You and Duncan are, are different on this. He's like, I think he's gung. I don't think he thinks Final Four or anything, but he he's pretty gung ho on this group. But 
Jeff Duncan is gung ho about anything that involves New Orleans. He's he, you could uh, he's gung ho about muffaladas. He's gung ho about Saints. He's gung ho about uh, you know Florida Lees. I don't know. He he's just king cake, Mardi Gras floats. He he he's just gung ho. I mean, you get you gotta love him. I think everybody's gung-ho about king cake. So I think that's one we're all on. And I would say 90% we're gung-ho on muffaladas and Mardi Gras floats. So I think we're on we're on the bandwagon on most of them. I don't know, man. At muffaladas, I, it, it's weird. People don't – that olive salad, it gets them. But uh, you can throw a lot on my lap any day. Muffaladas, muffaladas have to be warm. I like cold muffaladas, I am out on. Because the bread is too doughy and too much. It's got to be a warm muffalata that crunches when you bite it. I don't know, man. Well, I'll tell you this. Um, just to shed a little light, Doug Mouton has been uh, our kind of steward for the Donzi Rainey Fantasy Baseball League. And we have had our draft the last few years at, uh, at Drago's. And, man, I need to buy Tommy Satanovich a, a, a Christmas present or something because <laughs> we get the deal of century over there, and you can't beat Drago's. Uh, I mean, put it this way. It's really tough to beat it, and uh, you got to just love the city. I mean. I would say the, uh, that, that is my one most New Orleans quality was that I put an incredibly high value on the food delivered at anything. So if we're going to have a fantasy <laughs> baseball draft, right, which you, you're not thinking that's like a food-centric event. Right. To me, if you're going to put me in charge of a fantasy baseball draft, you're going to eat spectacularly well. And we that's, do. Because, yeah. That, that's that, why that, I, But here's – I had a terrible draft, and I will say this. I got so infatuated with food because I think I ate the that's entire what time. That's it on. And, I mean, I know with COVID, I hadn't seen humans. We got all these humans in one room. That's true. That's true. We were all vaccinated. We had all done the right things. I had had COVID. So, you know, I felt good about being it. And I ate and I forgot to actually draft the quality tea. Well, what stinks for me is the draft. I had COVID too in February and I still can't taste or smell properly. I I think I've seen improvement over the past few weeks. So I couldn't taste any of the food. So in my oh. mind, I was trying it. So I didn't get it. Maybe that's why I won this year. I wasn't as infatuated. I think, yeah. so who, I, I think that, that okay. might actually play a role. Before I let you go, I do want to touch on, on the disappointing LSU Tigers. I know you guys do these Eye on the Tiger shows, and you talk about we're better off. It's more fun when they win. Well, I know it's probably been a little bit frustrating to do those shows this year. And to me, uh, Saturday night kind of encapsulated what this Tigers team is. Um, because they're sort of like the Saints, but not quite as talented, I guess. Um, you, that, that team cannot afford to, to blow leads. They've got to win every game they can possibly win right now. Yeah, and that was such a winnable game. And, and honestly, going into it, I wasn't sure if they could, if they, if they could play with Auburn. I mean, look, the, the team we've seen has been so up and down. Offensive line has been a big disappointment. Um, Max Johnson hasn't had the time, but he also... I'm not sure he's taken that next step yet, which I was hoping he would in the offseason. It's it's rough, Um, and I I think this is what you're going to see out of them. I think they're going to be a little better than last year, but, I mean, I think now at three and two, that's about what you're looking at. Look, the Kentucky game this week could go either way. I think the Ole Miss game could go either way. You're going to be playing a bunch of those. 
Are they significantly better than anyone else on their schedule in the SEC? Um, I'm not sure. Look, Texas A&M is the one team that's that's significantly worse than anyone thought. So maybe that one. But <clears throat> but yeah, it, it, I didn't think this LSU team was ready to be the next championship team. I never had that kind of expectation. But I thought they'd be a little better than they have been through the first five. Um, I think you know this looks like a. Uh, a, a mid-range team. I saw predictions of a Texas Bowl type bowl. That's what this team looks like, and that might almost be the best case scenario at this at this point. I don't think they're going to a bowl. I don't think they're going to have a winning record. I think they. And and yeah. I I also think that is a possibility, which is a shame with the talent. Look, it's a lot of young talent. I think I think they are building the the the. the the conglomeration of things that happened after the championship between COVID and just people naturally leaving. It was a team that came together that were all in their last year, not all, but the vast majority of guys were in their last year. And then the few really quality pieces you had then jumped ship right. not long after that. So the, the way things happened, it was going to be a couple of years to build. So maybe next year is the year that you really judge them on. This, this would be year two in sort of restarting. Um, but I, th- I thought they'd be a little better in year two than they've shown so far. I agree. Uh, so let's get to the, I, uh, I started this kind of uh, just by accident. And I think I'm going to make this a permanent segment, three big questions to end uh, an interview. And um, lead, so that leads into my three big questions. Uh, and I put you on the hot seat. And uh, number one, September the, the, the opener in either the late August or September 2022 is Ed Ogeron, the coach of the LSU Tigers? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I'm going to say yes, but I would say it's yes, 60-40. If the, if the result winds up being no, I wouldn't be surprised. I would lean slightly on the yes side at this point. And it's it's hard. And you talk about we go back to the personal part of this thing. Um, uh, you have a son that went to Mandeville High, um, and I covered Mandeville High for a long time, and I covered the Ogeron boys, and I got to know Coach O a little bit. And I really, truly, deeply think he's a wonderful human being. Um, so it's tough when you have to be critical about a guy like that. So I'm going to put that in the cat. And I know. For you, it's tough as well with all the stuff that you guys do with LSU. So that's a tough question I ask, and I appreciate the way that you answered it. Um, but, you know, it's like Dunk said yesterday, LSU is not in the, the business of being 500 or mediocre or just above 500, and I think he's going to have a – if they don't win at least seven games, which is going to be brutally tough to do, especially because I don't think they're going to win this week. Um, if they don't win seven games – I don't see how there's a path to keeping Ed Ogeron, and I hope he figures it out really soon. So, I, I don't disagree with that assessment. I, I don't. And, and, yes, that's – I mean, honestly, if this wasn't LSU, um, the fact that he delivered one of the greatest seasons in the history of college football two years ago would carry enormous weight, and he'd be good for the next three or four 100%. years almost anywhere else. So, yes, that, that is the baseline where we start. Um, I do think that still carries some weight. And it's not just that. It's that these recruiting classes the last couple of years do 
They have been really good. Yes. And, and the Man. talent is building. And you have seen what he has done with that talent in 2019. Look, the 2019 championship team was not Les Miles when he won his championship and it was all guys Nick Saban had recruited. This was a coaching staff he had put together and a team he had put together and not just delivered, delivered without question the greatest season in LSU history. One of the great seasons in college football is. He is capable of that because he's done it once. And the, the, the recruiting successes lead you to believe that maybe he's building that. So it's not just the 2019. It's also the recruiting success. But, look, but you're right. Look, if some of his team wins four games this year, there's no question he's out. Um, I think you've got to get to 500 to get to a bowl game. Um, I don't feel great about my yes prediction, but I'm airing slightly on yes. Well, I'm 64. I'm 60, 40 as well, but I think it's the other way. I think it's 60, 40 yeah, had- that he's not here. Let's go on to question number two. Um, number two, and this one's not going to be easy either. Uh, the last one will be easy. Uh, th- this one's not going to be as easy. September, whatever, 2022. Saints opener is Jameis Winston the starting quarterback? Yes, I agree. Yes, I, I, I yeah, I, I, yes, I think he's shown enough. Um, and I, th- I look, Sean Payton's watching this tape that we just saw, and he's seeing those deep balls. He's seeing the ad libs. He's seeing no bad decisions. When I say bad decisions, no dangerous decisions. No decisions that put the team in harm's way with a dangerous pass, whether the result was good or bad. Um, I think Sean Payton's watching that tape. (laughs) Well, I know he's watching that tape. And I think (laughs) the design is going to be to start feeding on some of the things that are good. Jameis Winston right now is eighth in the NFL in quarterback rate. Um, And I don't think he and Sean Payton are 100% in sync yet. Um, And he's eighth in quarterback rate. I think it's going to get better. Um, and and I, I do believe that. And I, and I do think if they have success together, he's going to want to be back. The Saints are going to figure out the money because they always do. And so, I, yes, I'm, I'm a yes on that, and I'm an 85% yes on that. I agree, and I think that I'm – if you would have told me I would say this two weeks ago, I would have told you you were nuts. I don't know what it is about the last two weeks, but I feel so much more confident about him, just the progression that I've seen in just this short period of, t- period of time. And I think that speaks a lot to what those guys in that, in that coach's room can do for someone. And his confidence level was different uh, this week. It was different the week before uh, against, the, uh, you know, against the Patriots, even though he made a couple weird, did a couple weird things. I just, I thought before the season that it was a one-year rental, basically. It was kind of like a Teddy Bridgewater type thing, which I, who I think would be much better suited for the Saints right now than, than Jameis, but that's a whole different story. But uh, I, I agree with you. I think Jameis Winston will be the starting quarterback uh, next year, which, which is strange to say. Last question, uh, and I can't wait to hear what you say. It's an easy question because it's, you, you can't get any flack for, for answering it. Who's going to win the World Series? Oh, geez. Wow. God, I, have, I haven't gone. Look, I, you know what? The smartest organization in all of pro sports are the Tampa Bay Rays. The way they use players, find players, develop talent, find talent, take cast offs and find the one thing that that guy can do. Um, 
the, the Dodgers were on sort of one of those historic, all the planets lined up right. last year kind of rolls and knocked them off. I'm going to go with the Rays, one, because they're my favorite team in baseball, and they're my favorite team in baseball because of how they do things. It's, it's the smartest organization in pro sports. I mean, I mean, you could argue the Patriots, but now we're seeing the Patriots without Tom Brady, and it's not quite as great. The Rays, the Rays right now in the last few years, what they've been able to do with their budget at developing talent, finding talent, putting pieces together in weird ways. I like the Rays. I like them to figure it out. And if I had to go with anybody, I'd go with them right now. You know, it's hard not to root for them. And there's really, I mean – no offense if anyone's listening from there, but really Tampa Bay area. And my dad lives about 80 miles away from Tampa. To me, it's just not an appealing. It's kind of like Florida is, you know, there's great. It's, it's hot. It's sunny. It's a great place. If you want to go to the beach, it's, there's not bad, you know, it's not bad. to go. I mean, Tampa just doesn't have a lot of personality. And you know what? The Rays uh, kind of along the, the years, it's been a, a similar thing. They just, they, they don't have a lot of personality, but you know what? They win. Um, and they don't do it with flair and in sports. I kind of like that. So, um, it is hard not to root for them because they, they just grind. I mean, last year's baseball playoffs to me, I got wrapped up in the Rays because every game was a fight and yeah, Rosarena guy, who the hell is Randy Rosarena and he's hitting home runs. Yep. And the, the you know a mix and match pitching staff and great relievers and so I think they're uh, I, I think they're going to win the AL. Although you talk about well-run organizations, I mean, how in the hell are the San Francisco Giants win 107 games with that roster? It is it is crazy. You talk about a roster that does not look like it should be winning that. And for LSU people, Kevin Gossman is having yes. a year that everyone for the last decade. Look, Kevin Gossman's one of those pitchers, and when you do fantasy baseball, it's the frustrating part of it, is <laughs> these pitchers that have spectacular stuff, but sort of haven't figured out how, figured out how to pitch yet, right. and how to put it together. The kind of guy who will throw, you know, two strikes that, that no one on earth could hit, and right. then, then the third pitch, they'll give up a base hit. Um, Gossman has figured it out and has been great for that team this year. They're, they're a team that's easy to like, but yeah, look, and, and the funny thing about the Rays is that they have like the worst fan base. Like, like it's like nobody it really seems does. to it's care t- a lot. That's, they I struggle think that's part for of it. attendance like nobody else. Yeah, but obviously the, the the people putting together a baseball team can't change that. All they can do is put together the smartest right. baseball team. I love that team. I love the pieces. I love the interchangeable pieces. I love the movable parts. Um, they are the, the modern baseball team. Where, you know, they play every analytic to, to the nth, and then even have some that they play that no one else even knows about, which is why they're ahead of the curve so much. Well, as much as Fox would probably hate it, I would love to see a Rays Giants World Series. It would it would not do well for ratings. I know I no. know the I know Fox no. is rooting for the Dodgers and the Yankees or the Dodgers oh. and the Red Sox, but uh, you know, it's it is what it is. So I'm rooting look in the NL. I don't like the Dodgers. Obviously, I'm a Cubs fan. I don't like the Cardinals. I can't stand the Brewers. The Braves, I, I like them, but I don't think they're good enough to go to the World Series. So that leaves me the Giants. So go Giants, and I agree with you. Go Rays. The baseball playoffs start tonight, uh, Tuesday night, the uh, American League wild card, and Wednesday night, the National League wild card. Uh, Red Sox and Yankees tonight. 
Dodgers and Giants tomorrow night. Doug Mouton, thank you for spending so much time with us here on a Datitude podcast as we try to get this thing rolling. And um, I hope to have you on again soon. Yeah, anytime, Jim. It was fun. All right, we'll talk to you soon. Doug Mouton thinking the Saints. He still thinks they're a playoff team. And um, Jameis will be the quarterback next September, starting quarterback. I agree. I mean, I, again, like I said, I don't, it's hard to believe, <clears throat> excuse me, that I think that I would think this at this point of the season. I mean, or just a couple of weeks ago, I was thinking, gee, what's going on? But I just like what I've seen the last two weeks, and I like the progression. And the more and more I think about it, if anyone's going to turn Jameis Winston into a top 10 kind of quarterback, which is what this team needs. I mean, this team... As good as the defense is, with their offensive weapons to be a Super Bowl caliber type team, you have to have a top 10 quarterback. And I think he can be that. I'm not saying he's going to be that. I'm not sure. But I think that Sean Payton is going to make him, uh, it's going to be at the top of his list of things he wants to accomplish, I guess. And uh, I'm sure Jameis feels the same way. If he can come in here and follow up Drew Brees and be successful doing that, um, not only could it mean a long career for him, he's going to make a lot of money doing it. So um, you got to root for him. It, no matter what you think, if you're a Saints fan, you've got to root for Jameis Winston. And I hate to tell you this um, if you don't believe it and you don't want to believe it, but he's certainly going to be here for the rest of the season. I, I got some, some silly... Inane, when is, when is it time for Ian Book? It's not. It's not going to happen. Um, Ian Book may or may not be the quarterback of this team one day, but it's certainly not going to be anytime soon. So get over to yourselves. It's not going to be Taysom Hill. It's not going to be Ian Book. It's not going to be anybody off the street. Your quarterback is Jameis Winston. You either deal with it or go back to feeding the pigeons on Sunday because that's what it is. So, you know, you, you can live with it or not. And uh, it's time to move on to our 4 for 4 segment uh, where we talk, we review the NFL weekend. We don't have a lot of time to talk about it because I spent so much time with Doug and I don't want this to be a two-hour podcast. But uh, let's talk about it. First off, let's get to where I was right uh, in the big news of the NFL weekend that not, doesn't involve the Saints. I was 9-7 against the spread this past weekend for the second straight week. Improved to 4 above 500 overall. Uh, I was 11-5 and five straight up which gets me to 43-21. and 21. Um, So I'll take it. Um, if I can only get my big bucks picks on the Thursday at the book show with Devin Zach- Jackson and Zach Ewing a little bit better so I don't look like a blathering idiot because uh, that's what I've been looking like. Devin Jackson is just, I mean, he's making me look like some kid off the street with ice cream all over his face. Let's ask this kid what he thinks about the NFL because... That's what if you look if you read my NFL picture like oh this guy's doing pretty good he know, he kind of knows what he's talking about if you just watch the at the book show you're like who is this moron and some of you listening to this podcast might might be saying who is this moron but of course if you think I'm a moron you're probably not listening uh, 75 minutes into the show that's just my guess unless you accidentally hit the forward button I digress uh, obviously the game of the weekend was the Bucks Patriots and Tom Brady versus Bill Belichick I was spot on in that one. Uh, 
Of course, I'm giving you the good first. I was spot on in that one saying I, uh, I thought the Bucks would win a tight one, not cover the spread. I also said I wouldn't be surprised if the Patriots won it outright. Uh, you know Bill Belichick. Both of these guys have been looking forward to this game for a long time, but I think Belichick can say whatever he wants. He wanted to win this one more than Tom Brady wanted to win it. And, and I, I truly believe that. And, you know, you try the Nick Folk field goal at the 55-yard. That's when you try the 55-yard field goal. When you're about to, when you can win the game or lose the game on one kick. I have no problem with that. Not Aldrich Rosas, 58, in the middle of the first half. Anyway, the story that didn't get told to me about this game was how well Mac Jones, I thought, played in such a high-profile game. He was 31 of 40, 275 yards, two touchdowns and a pick. He was sacked four times, but I thought he was outstanding and shows you what he can end up being. I know that uh, Bill Belichick must be happy with the way Mac Jones played in such a high-profile game. Then there's the, uh, the, I almost called them the San Diego Chargers, the Los Angeles Chargers. I said in my column last week, uh, you know, I thought they were the team that I had most underrated before the season began. They made me believe. They made me believe, I think even in a loss against the Cowboys, uh, they made me believe. Um, and I picked them to win last night. I picked them to cover the spread. They did both of those things. Brandon Staley has done, uh, he's already changed the mentality of this team. Last year's Chargers, they wouldn't have been able to survive the onslaught the Raiders threw at them in the third quarter and into the fourth. Uh, you know, that long drive to score the touchdown after it was 21-0 Chargers and the lead shrank to 21-14. To me, that proves this is a legitimate team in the AFC. I am looking forward to seeing what they can do the rest of the way. So, they are they are a team that, that could make some noise. Can they hold off the Chiefs? I don't know, but maybe. We'll have to see. To me, they are definitely the second-best team in the AFC West. Next to not so good. I was shocked at how poorly the Rams played on Sunday against the Cardinals. You know, I took the Rams minus four and a half. While I wasn't sure about the spread, I really thought they'd come out and play with fire after the big win last week against the Bucs. Um, they did not. Uh, they were flat. Matt Stafford wasn't very good. He had a rush in his face all, all day long. The defense was surprisingly bad. I mean, I know Kyler Murray can do special things and make defenses look bad at times, but, man, that uh, you've got to be able to play better than that in, in games like that. So now they have to go to Seattle in a short week, and I think we'll learn if they really are the Super Bowl contending team I thought they were before last season. And lastly, in the 4 for 4 segment, what in the holy heck is up with the Titans? I mean, their fans have to feel worse than Saints fans. You know, these two teams are a lot. The Saints and Titans, I think, have a lot in common. Uh, you know, they had no Julio Jones or A.J. Brown this week, but you can't fend off the Jets' pass rush? I mean, Ryan Tannehill had to be black and blue yesterday morning from the beating it took. And they, uh, what, no defense. I mean, so I don't, I think this Titans team, I was way too high on the Titans. And some of the experts that I heard, bashing the Titans all offseason. Uh, there weren't a lot of people high on this team. I couldn't understand why. Maybe now I do. I'm not ready to write them off just yet. They play. They go to Jacksonville this weekend. Um, I think they'll have a rebound week. Um, but then they got the Bills, the Chiefs, and the Colts. That ain't easy. And they're also going to host the Saints on November 14th. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, that is the 4 for 4 segment.
Um, and we're going to finish today's show with the Let's Get Personal segment that I've run a few times where I try to share an interesting moment or two about myself so you can get to know your host a little better. Um, and I've talked about my kids a lot in this segment. And really, besides sports and my kids, and I do play poker, I mean, those are the three things. That's my life, pretty much. Um, and not in that order. My wife and my kids are obviously number one. Um, sports is number two, probably, and poker is probably number three. That's, that's what I do. Oh, and I like to eat, of course. Anybody who knows me or has seen me anytime in the recent past knows I like to eat. But um, that's, that's where I spend my time. Um, and I know all of you out there are proud of your children. There was a moment last night that actually made this big goofball tear up. Uh, I play poker on Sundays and Monday nights. So on, last night I'm sitting at the poker table. And again, any of you know me know I'm a degenerate. But while I'm sitting at the table, I got a text picture from my wife. Um, and uh, it was I couldn't tell what it was at first. And then I realized she was wanting me to look at the TV screen that was in the background of the picture. Here's my five-year-old daughter, Lucy, who knows how to work the Apple TV remote better than I do. Not only got on to YouTube, but she found the Odds and Hens show I do on Mondays with Zach and Devin. And she was laying in bed watching her daddy on TV. Um, and she's asked before to put, put show, you know, I do play-by-play for Varsity Sports now. Um, and I do high school games on Friday nights, and she wants to watch it. My my wife thinks that I'm probably the worst play-by-play announcer on the planet because I get a little loud, and, and I am being facetious when I say little. But, you know, it kind of made me tear up. She showed me that picture, and I'm like, I'm like, wait a minute, that's me? She found that somehow on her own. Um, and it just, you know, it's moments like that you start to appreciate how much, you know, interaction with your kids and how much they appreciate you and you know you go through your everyday life and life and especially when school starts and every day is almost the same you wake up in the morning and you you bring your kid to the bus stop and you do your work and they come home and you eat dinner and you you, you give them a bath and you go to bed and you start the whole the same thing all over again rinse wash and repeat right and just moments like that just just um kind of special and uh it 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 kind of puts things in perspective a little bit. And so I thought it was important to share that moment uh, on, my, on the Let's Get Personal segment of this show. Because uh, this has been a, I didn't know how this was going to work out. We're six episodes in now. And um, I thank anyone that has listened to multiple podcasts. I thank all of you, really. But for those of you that have listened to multiple podcasts and you think this is something that can grow, I really appreciate you. Um, because obviously if no one listens, then we're not going to do this for long, but we have had some great guests to start this show. Um, and I, I couldn't do it without you guys. And I couldn't do it without, you know, most of the people that I've had on this show. In fact, just about everybody on this, that's been on this show so far, I have a, uh, a personal relationship well with as well, except maybe Stan Barrett, who I don't know all that well, who was on the first episode. And I appreciate him doing episode number one. And I don't really have a relationship with our Fridays with our guest on our first guest on Friday, Mike Haas. 
who I was thrilled that he said yes to come on the show. So he'll be on Friday, um, and we'll ask him what it's like to have the second best job on the planet. Uh, and I say second best because the best job on the planet has got to be Pat Hughes, who is the play-by-play announcer for the Cubs. Um, so those, if I, had, if I could have any two jobs on the planet, it would be one of those two jobs. Mike Haas has one. We'll ask him what the experience has been like through four regular season games, um, all kinds of other things. We'll ask him about what he thinks about this Sunday's game. We'll ask him uh, what it, you know, just really, what does he do on a, on, a, on a weekly basis? We know he does the Sean Payton show on Monday night. I listened to it again last night, but and he broadcasts the games. But what goes into being the voice of the New Orleans Saints and what it must be like to, to just, what did he feel like when he got the job? That's what I want to know. So, and I think uh, that'll be an interesting experience. Uh, also, as we do each Friday, we'll have Dave Choo Choo de Corbier. He'll be on again uh, to compete against. We'll compete against each other in our five NFL picks. We'll go over last week's picks quickly. And he once again will proclaim his love for Taysom Hill, which is how he got the nickname Choo Choo. So I want to thank Doug Mouton for coming on today. And I also thank him for his donation in the Donzi Rainey League, which is the, our fantasy baseball league that, uh, if you haven't heard by now, yours truly wins it again. Sixth championship in 20 seasons. You know, I, I take pride in that. One more to tie Peter Kovacs, who is the editor of The Advocate. And one more. I'm going to get him. Maybe not next year, but I'm going to get him soon. Don't forget videos on bet.nola.com. Odds and ends on Monday with Zach Ewing and myself. Fantasy Roundup on Tuesdays with Zach and Spencer, the guru, Urquhart. And at the book on Thursdays featuring Cashing In with Carville, Zach, Devin Jackson, and myself. If you want to be a part of the show, it's jderry at theadvocate.com or find me on Twitter at Jim Derry Jr. And don't forget to su- subscribe to this podcast. You can hear it just about anywhere you hear a podcast. That is it for Episode 6. We will see you on Friday with Mike Hoss and D-Squared. Peace and love, my friends.